as you've, we've heard several times now, is the second Sunday of Advent. There is a, a theme to every Sunday of Advent. Uh, and this one is peace. And as I've just already shared with you, peace is, I always have a hard time uh, when it comes to preaching on a topic and the topic being peace, because as you know, uh, it's not a peaceful world. And especially right now, we've got the war going on in Ukraine and, and Russia, which uh, being in Europe, we feel a lot, I feel anyways, a lot closer to it than I would be, I'm sure, if I was in the U.S. Uh, we have this thing going on between uh, Israel and Hamas and, and uh, the Palestinians. And it's hard to talk about peace when it seems like as a human species, we are bent on destroying ourselves, and we seem to come up with new and creative ways to do it. And just when the waters seem calm, something happens, and it gets all disrupted again. But one of the things that's important to understand about peace is that peace is not just the hiatus between conflict. I think oftentimes if you were to ask people, what is peace? They would say it's a lack of conflict. But that's not how the scripture describes peace. Because the scripture tells us that there is going to always be wars and rumors of war. If there's not a war, then that time in between will be the rumor of war. And probably one of the greatest examples of a time in between that most historians look at that was a false peace was the time between World War I and World War II. That time period in between was really just both sides retreating back to their corners, catching their breath, getting strong and ready to come out again. And that's what happened. They came out again, and the second time they came out, it was a bigger war, bigger fight. And so oftentimes we are, we are kind of lulled into what is peace. We are sort of brought into this thing that this is peace, and really it's a false peace. It's just a, it's just a space between conflict. And this even goes on with personal relationships. Some of you know that within a personal relationship, especially those of you who are married, and maybe you went through a rough time in your marriage, or you're going through a rough time in your marriage, you know, in between arguments, very rarely is really peaceful. It's just that you feel it in your stomach that there's, there's going to be another argument. There's going to be another fight coming up. And so there's really no peace, even though you're in between arguments. Or maybe I'm the only one that's ever experienced that. I don't know. But, uh, so, you know, this idea that, that peace is the lack of conflict is really not a true definition of peace. The way the Bible describes peace is that it always associates it with the presence of God. When God is present, then there is peace, there is harmony, there is hope. In Genesis, for example, when it speaks about the creation, when it talks about the creation, everything is called good, and there's peace between God and this being that he created in his own image, male and female. He created humanity. And I mean, you see it, it's, it's this very, uh, very peaceful kind of a garden. There's no killing at all, even for food. Uh, the husband and the wife seem to be getting along. But then sin enters the picture. And many of you know the story that Adam and Eve willfully disobeyed God's command. And then as you go from this transition from this peaceful garden to a place which does not have peace, you have an interesting picture. The, the picture is described as, God in the garden, but the peace in that relationship between Adam and Eve and God is disrupted. And as God walks in the cool of the garden, instead of Adam and Eve embracing that relationship like they used to do, now they're hiding. The scripture says this, 
Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. Sin had separated humanity from God. And now that they were separated from God, humanity didn't have peace. And what happens? Well, soon after that, the first murder takes place between two brothers. And after that, selfishness and debauchery and death and greed consumes humanity. And human beings become so disappointing to God that we have verses which kind of challenge some of our theology. They're so startling when you think about them. It says this, The Lord was grieved that he had made man on earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals, and creatures that move along the ground, and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. Think about this. How can an all-knowing, all-powerful God be grieved? How is that possible? How is the one that creates all things, puts all things into motion, one who is grieved and that pain fills his heart? Usually we think of things like being grieved or being, having pain in our heart as something because something happens outside of us that is beyond our control and it brings pain into our life. It brings grief into our life. And this is how God describes his feelings about creating humanity. He is grieved over this. You have to make me wonder, how bad does sin really have to be? And what is the impact of sin on a level that's far beyond our comprehension? That sin is more than just, you know, telling a lie. Or sin is more than just, you know, doing something that is deceptive or, or, or wrong in all the different categories we can think of it. But it impacts something much more, impacts things much more deeply. It goes beyond us. Notice also in this passage, he says, I will wipe mankind who I have created from the face of the earth. And then all of creation gets pulled into it. Men, animals, creatures that move on the ground, birds of the air, the whole thing, because of our sin, humanity's sin, sucks in all of creation into this place where it is all under the judgment of God. And so the flood was sent, and many of you know the story. The flood was sent by God, essentially to start humanity over again, but as long as human beings are in a place of sin, as long as there's brokenness, well, we'll just mess it up again. And that's what happened. Wars take place. People are enslaved. You know, history. And then God sends a set of fairly simple commands to the Israelites, which are all about keeping peace. And they're simple. Honor God. And there's three commands around honoring God. Then honor your parents. And then honor each other. Honor each other by doing some fairly simple things like don't murder each other. Don't steal from each other. Don't lie about one another. Don't be so jealous of what each other has that you, it causes you to break the relationship and 
Don't be messing around with each other's spouses. This isn't all that difficult to figure out. And yet, could we keep these basic Ten Commandments? Nope. And not only did we not, we were unable to keep them, but then we made them so complicated. We added a bunch of stuff to them that made them so complicated that they were difficult, they were impossible to really follow. And why? Why can't we even keep a basic Ten Commandments? Because think about what a different world, what a different world it would be, even if we didn't agree on everything. If we honored God, and you could say, well, God, I understand God this way, I understand God that way. As long as you honored God and, and honored one another by not killing one another, stealing from one another, committing adultery, taking from one another, the greed, everything that gets around to it, what a different world it would be if it was an, an anathema to us, a complete no-go to do something as simple as not kill each other. Sometimes I ask this question to folks in a sermon. I go, how many of you would consider eating your neighbor? Seriously, how many of you would consider killing, eating your neighbor? Cannibalism. How many of you think about, man, I just wish I could mm, get into that, that, that arm there? Right? Most of you find this kind of weird and disgusting that I'm even going down this path, right? And yet we find killing each other something that is a, a form of entertainment. Isn't that weird? One thing is such an anathema to us that I bring it up and you think, what is the weirdness are you going down? The other thing I bring up, which is killing one another, and we're like, yeah. And why are we this way? Because sin separates us from God. Without God, there is no peace. And this lack of peace, what I find interesting in the scripture is that this lack of peace is felt very deeply by God. Maybe you could even say more deeply by God than by us. He feels this. But here's the twist. I don't believe God was a victim in all this. I think God knows that this was a pain that he was going to go through as humanity grows and goes through the process of becoming the people he wants us to be. In a sense, we are still being created. We are going through a process right now as human beings. We do know the difference between good and evil. Maybe that line isn't quite where God would have it to be, where we're okay with killing, but we're not okay, you know, and God's not. But we do know that before time, God had set into place a plan of restoration. We know that. The scripture tells us that. And so if God set a plan of restoration in before time, then he knew this is going to happen. And I think it's part of his process. Look what the apostle Paul writes. He says to the church, he's writing to them. He says, do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me as its prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel. Remember, Paul was all about, I want to be like Jesus. I want to do what Jesus did. Join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. So Paul says, join me in this mission to take the gospel of Christ into the world and you're going to suffer by doing it. In fact, you will do it through suffering. 
but you receive this holy life because God has given it to us, his purpose and his grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. So he's saying this was a plan put into place before the beginning of time. But it's now being revealed. It's now being made clear what the plan is through Jesus Christ. Who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So this is telling us that God always had a plan. A plan that he made before time itself to restore the peace that he knew would be broken as we went through the painful process of understanding what is good and what is evil. And the only way we can understand what is good and what is evil is to have sin. Sin makes it clear. It's like Paul says, the law makes it clear where you are wrong and sin is exposed through the law. And we know what is right and what is wrong, at least on some level, because we do understand that sin brings about pain and misery in the world. And he had a plan to bring us back to those for those who wanted to come back, he has a plan in place. God didn't leave us. We left God. We followed sin as a species, as human beings, away from God. And you can say, well, what about Satan? Satan was a part of it. Yeah, Satan was a part of it, which is also kind of another thing to think about, that we're not the only order of creation that has sinned against God. Human beings are not the only order of creation that has willfully pushed back against God. Apparently, on some level of, of, of order of being called angelic, they pushed back against God as well, some of them. And so we're not the only ones who have broken God's peace, but we're the only ones that God is willing to take upon himself our sins so that we can be brought home. And God prepared humanity for this by speaking words of hope through the prophets. And this is what we see in the Old Testament. The Old Testament, some people think of the Old Testament kind of over here and the New Testament over here, and they really struggle with how these two come together. But the truth is, they're like this. The Old Testament is leading us to what's happening in the New Testament. Without the context of the Old Testament, Jesus is just a nice guy who got killed by the Romans. There's no context to his sacrifice other than he's just a guy that got on the wrong side of power and was killed. But we have prophets, and particularly Isaiah, who talks a lot about the Messiah. Last week, we looked at Isaiah 53, which talks about the Messiah. Let's look at a couple other passages, and there's a lot of, this is, these are kind of two big passages we're going to look at, where he talks about the Messiah. He says this, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land, speaking of God, he, the land of Zebulun and the land of the Naphtali. Now, why those two are insignificant is those were two lands that were known to be non-Jewish. They were Gentile. And in the Old Testament, when you read the word Gentile, the word in the Hebrew is goy or goyim. And if you've, if you've ever had Jewish friends, you'll know that the word goy is kind of what they use. It's almost a derogatory term for non-Jews. He's a goy or goyim. And goy is translated in the Bible sometimes as Gentile. Sometimes it's heathen, 
And sometimes it's just the nations that are non-Jewish. You'll just say nations, though. It doesn't specify in that translation if they say nations. But that's where it comes from, the goy. I'm a goy. So are most of you. So in the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun, the land of the Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the goyim, of the Gentiles, of the non-Jewish people. By the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders. The rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. It will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time forward, that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Isaiah chapter 42 says this, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice. On earth. In his laws, the islands will put their hope. This is what the Lord God, this is what God the Lord says. He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. Speaking of the Messiah, I will take hold of your hand, I will keep you and make you to be a covenant promise, an agreement for the people and a light to the Gentiles, to open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and release from the dungeons those who sit in darkness. Some of you might remember, as you read, as you go through these passages, times in the Gospels where these very verses are brought up again. When the disciples of John the Baptist, for example, come to Jesus and say, are you the one or should we be looking for someone else? He quotes this part here. Tell John that the eyes of the blind are opened, the captives are set free, and he's declared the year of the Lord's favor. So God basically says that he is going to bring peace by bringing us himself. And you say, well, where do you see that? Well, look at the titles for this peace bringer. Look what they call him. They say he's going to be called Wonderful Counselor. Do you think it's a coincidence that Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit as being the counselor? 
The Holy Spirit of God is the Spirit of Christ, is the Spirit of the Father. It is the one that comes. Look what he's called, mighty God, everlasting Father. This is what the Messiah is going to be called. This comes from the Old Testament. People that go, oh, you Christians, you kind of imagined up that Jesus was more than he was. It says right in the Old Testament, this is what the expectation of the Messiah is going to be. He will have these titles. And why is he called Prince of Peace? Because while he is mighty God and everlasting Father and character and nature, he is an intentional step into humanity. He is an intentional step from divine into humanity where he is made vulnerable. He is tempted by the same things we are tempted by. He feels that temptation but according to the book of Hebrews, never gives into it. And he is susceptible even to death. You can't take the infinite spirit of Father God and nail him to a cross and kill him. You can't kill the infinite. It's like trying to bring the ocean and put it into a glass. You can't do it. There's too much of it. But this is why God, according to the scripture, empties himself of his glory and enters into our vulnerability so that he could become our sin in exchange for his righteousness. And Isaiah, again, in 53, we looked at this last week. He talks about this. Surely he, being the Messiah, took up our infirmaries and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we're healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And then we have kind of a corresponding scripture from the Apostle Paul, who says, Your attitude should be the same as that as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He didn't have to grasp at it because he already had it but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So after being sacrificed for our sake, what God then gives us is a picture of restoration. That's what, that's what the, essentially that's what the resurrection is. It's a picture of victory over the most hopeless thing. The thing that has tormented the souls of humanity for Ever since we've been around, this mystery of what is death and what do we go into when this life ends. He demonstrates the victory over that through the resurrection and that peace that tells us that death itself is defeated. And we can, by faith in what Jesus Christ has done and in who he is, trust that by following him and coming to him and accepting that he is our sacrifice, we can exchange our sin for his righteousness and have a time 
where we are born not just as animated creatures, but our spirits are reborn. And this is what the Bible talks about when Jesus says being, we need to be born again. That our spirits are reborn and brought back into a place of fellowship and of peace with the presence of God in our lives. And this is really what peace is about. This is the peace given to us. It's given to you. It's given to us by God. And he set this in place for you and for other believers since before the beginning of time. And the Apostle Paul, who was a man who went from a tormented and angry soul to one that found peace in the risen Christ, he writes from a place of very deep personal understanding from his soul to ours when he wrote in the book of Romans these words. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. All these things we've gone through, I don't know, if, maybe if you're here for the first time or you don't know the scriptures that well, all of these prophetic passages from Isaiah were written 700 years before Christ. At least 700 years before Christ. Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, and he's talking about the Old Testament there, from the scriptures we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement Give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. So that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another. Then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth. To confirm the promises made to the patriarchs. Patriarchs means the fathers of the past. Abraham, Noah, those guys. So that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your names. Again it says rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. You know what the word in, in Greek is for Gentile? Ethnos. It's where we, we get the word ethnic from. The different ethnic peoples. It's very appropriate for IBCD. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with this people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up. One who will arise to rule over the nations. The Gentiles will hope in him. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and all peace as you trust him. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and thank you that as we come and we celebrate, uh, look, look in the season of Advent that you are indeed our peace. Peace isn't something that we can create as human beings. It's not something that can be formed, at least on a lasting sense, through sensible organization and government. As much as we want to put something in place that is going to keep it there, we know that sin just will tear it apart. 
But also, as we know, that it is inevitable that systems are going to break down and conflict is in the world, wars, rumors of war, greed, debauchery, all the other stuff that goes on. Father, we also know that just as inevitable, more inevitable is the plan that you put into place before time to restore us unto you through our Lord Jesus Christ. And nothing will disrupt that plan. And Father, at times when we look around us and think, my, this is just going crazy, we know that this is part of a plan that you are in control of. And we say God is in control, and sometimes it doesn't feel like it. Sometimes we say God is good, and we have to kind of say through our tears all the time. But we know, according to your scripture and by faith, that you are in control and that we can see how you're progressing through this direction of humanity, where we're going. And Lord, we pray that everyone here is willing to accept your way back home through following Jesus Christ. Repentance of sin, trusting that you are the sacrifice once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us home to our God. And Lord, for those that are going through times of difficulty right now, be it just you know, life or relationships, or we have some military folk that has got to be getting a little bit nervous for seeing all this stuff going on. God, that you would bring peace into the families and into the hearts of those who put their trust in you. God, we pray this all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we thank you for, who we understand really is you solving this problem for us. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.